Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Namaste, Yoga Revealed community. This is Alec Rubin, here to welcome you to another episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today, I am so excited to introduce one of my favorite teachers and possibly favorite human beings in the yoga world, Mary Taylor. Mary is the wife of Richard Freeman and is authentically funny and a driven individual when it comes to practice. For living with over 40 years of practice experience, she is incredibly kind and humble through the plethora of information she shares. There's this feeling deep inside that there's almost like a cavern that is infinitely deep inside of all of us. And if you can turn the vision in there, there's a moment where it's terrifying because it's dark, perhaps, or it's the unknown. And if we can let ourselves rest there for a moment, suddenly there's this feeling of going into this expansive, vast place of awareness. Mm. We are thrilled you're listening to this inspiring interview today. Tune in and enjoy each moment as we share with you the experience from a truly dedicated yoga practitioner on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Welcome to the Yoga Revealed Podcast. My name is Alec, and always it's such a blessing to share with you what we love. And today it brings me such pleasure and high honor to introduce my teacher and an incredible human being, Mary Taylor. She's the wife of Richard Freeman, and truly she's one of the most kind, gentle, and funny people that I know, possibly one of the most professional human beings that I know. And if she doesn't mind, I'm going to have to talk her up for just a moment. <laughs> um, you know, there's this Sanskrit word, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mary, it's called darshan. And, and the experience that comes with this is, you know, when you're practicing and your teacher walks next to you and your thoughts are kind of scattered, like you are present and you drop in and the thoughts begin to slowly hone in on a single point of, I respect you. And uh, I admire you. And uh, that is something that I always feel in the morning when I'm practicing at the yoga workshop. And Mary sometimes like glances over and I'm like, nope, I'm here. I'm present. <laughs> and there's another, another fun, fun fact from another teacher in town, Gina Caputo, who will be on the podcast. She says often, you know the phrase, what would Jesus do? Well, this is kind of like, what would Mary Taylor do? <laughs> She's an incredible human being who has over 40 years of a practice experience, which is so rare. So thank you, Mary, for inviting us into your home and, and revealing to us the, the yoga as it's been revealed to you. Thank you, Alec. Thank Great you. to be here. Thank you. So, you know, we'd like to start off with just a little synopsis of who you are and perhaps for people who don't know who you are, where you're coming from and what your experience over the years have been and when you first started practicing. Well, I uh, actually first started practicing in the early 70s. I was at university. Nobody did yoga in those days. Well, I guess a few people did because there was a teacher. But it was sort of, there was a uh, sort of parody on TV about sort of hippies doing yoga. <laughs> and um, that was 
kind of the mainstream view of what yoga was. And there was a wonderful um, PBS show on yoga um, with Lilius. And uh, so I watched that a few times. And then through my friends at university, found a teacher who did yoga and started taking generic yoga classes. And, um, and it, like for so many of us, it hooked me in this very intriguing way. And like with so many things in life, it hit me at just the right moment and in just the right way. So yoga can hook us on all different levels, mm. um, physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, um, philosophically, um, and, or energetically. And it's not that once you're hooked, say, philosophically, that's the only way you ever get into the, the practice. What happens is you find your doorway and then um, from there, once you're in the kind of bigger room that one might call yoga, you start seeing the other areas and you wander over to the other areas that then get inspired. So as time went on, I uh, continued to just get uh, a little bit of yoga here and there. And, and in the beginning for me, what had happened was that I was a university student, very high stress situation, mm -hmm. and I found it very, very centering and relaxing. And so for the first maybe eight or nine years, that's what I was in quote-unquote pursuit of, was just something that would help me to center my mind and calm the body. And from there, it then expanded into you know, many different levels and many different areas within my own psyche and experience. And when I finally encountered Ashtanga Yoga in uh, the mid late mid-80s, um, I was so taken by the physicality of it, in addition to the fact that it's a very, uh, very um, mellow kind of practice in spite of the fact that it's very rigorous. Mm. And I, I, so that was when I finally really got deeply, deeply into it. Um, so that's how I got involved. Mm. And... Uh through finding a deeper commitment from just playing around for those few years and then finding this more uh, committed form of mm -hmm. practice. When did uh, Guruji come in? When did Richard come yeah. in? How did that happen? When did the yoga workshop come in? Yeah. So um, I moved from, I spent a diff lived in different places after college and had been living in Boston at one point and decided I was going to move to Colorado. And soon after I got here, maybe in 83, 84, um, is when I met Richard. Um, and he was teaching just these classes. I remember seeing him around town in his old little uh, silver Subaru uh, station wagon. And it always had, you know, hundreds of blocks and bolsters and things <laughs> kind of piled in the back because he didn't have a studio. He was just going from place to place. And that's where I met him and so I took classes from him for maybe three years or so before both of us being complete introverts neither of us would ever say anything to each other so I uh, except at the end of class I'd always say thank you and he would say you're welcome and then <laughs> yeah and so then I at that point I'd also been very involved in food and cooking and had come out here um, to help uh, start uh, various different things in the food world and one of the things I was doing for um, a local health food store at the time was managing their community education program and so I was doing something on health and wellness and thought well you know we've got a doctor and this person and that person we should have a yoga person so I invited Yo Richard to come and be part of that and that's how we got to know each other a little bit outside of yoga and then realized that we had more in common than we had, had initially kind of even considered. And so I got to know him and then a year, a few years later, he, at that point, he had been very involved with um, his own practice, which was, you know, the influenced very highly by um, Mr. Iyengar's practice and Mr. Iyengar's teaching. And 
it was sometime maybe in about 86, 87 when Richard first met Patabijoy Guruji, um, who was teaching at Feathered Pipe Ranch. Um, and he um, was teaching there with Tim Miller, who's one of the other you know, senior Ashtanga teachers. And Richard went and attended the workshop with him, with uh, Guruji. And Tim was the person demonstrating all the poses. And Richard was just blown away by it and had read a lot about it. And, but just he and, and Guruji just fell in love with each other, mm. as Guruji did with his other, you know, many of his students, not only the senior students. He was just a very mm. genuine, sweet guy. Mm. And so from that point on, Richard was um, really hooked. And when he came back um, from that workshop, he then was teaching Ashtanga rather than sort of Iyengar-based. Mm. And uh, it was a little bit of a shock to all of his students who were expecting to just go in and roll around on bolsters, but, <laughs> but we uh, adapted. <laughs> and it was great. And it, you know, for me, I'm a more type A personality um, than Richard, and it's sort of like, like to do a lot of things. And so for me, it was just the perfect practice. And then a year or so later, um, we'd kind of gotten to know each other and just decided to go to India. Mm. Um, not as a couple, but just to go there. And and uh, we kept being thrown together the whole trip. And so it was sort of in India where we really met each other and, and realized that there was a lot in common. So it was great. Mm. And, and for me to meet Patabi Joyce there was just phenomenal. So I'm forever, ever grateful to him um, and to Richard for um, for this the introduction to this practice because it's truly changed my life. Mm. Thank you so much for that storyline. Yeah. <laughs> really, really beautiful. Um, so through the years of your experience in yoga, and it's so cool. I mean, years—that's amazing. <laughs> truly, it's just because you're young. It's <laughs> <laughs> true, but you know, in times of strife in your life. What has been, what has inspired you to keep practicing or more so what has revealed itself to you over the years from consistent practice, mm -hmm. no matter challenge or joy? Yeah, well, you know, as I said, when I um, went to India is when the, the consistency of practice really hooked in because prior to that, I'd been like so many of us practicing, um, you know, on the side or kind of as doing different kinds of practices and um, kind of regularly for, for 10 years or so. But the consistency of a practice that is uh, very dedicated, very specific, very internalized, and um, one in which you can watch whatever is presenting itself present itself and not necessarily respond, um, that really shifted in India. And I went there with the idea that um, I was going to just give myself to it, to the practice. And having been uh, like anybody, at, you know, maybe I was in my mid-30s at that point, um, you know, I've been through a lot of things in my life. Some of them, you know, had been poor judgment or mm. not, not doing things that I think were were really truly resonating with who I was. Um, and I had a major in psychology and I'd gone through therapy and thought, you know, I was really just trying to find myself. And somehow when I got to India, I, I just had this shift in my own mind that whatever it took, I was going to give my all to this. And by doing so, really letting my body uh, kind of morph in the way it needed to while I was practicing, it turned out that all the stuff that I'd kind of been trickily avoiding in therapy, etc., or in my own philosophical approaches to life had to be let go of. I had to really, truly strip down to the core of who I was mm -hmm. in order to just survive 
because it was India number one and Guruji number two, and I was the stiffest person in the room number three. (laughs) It was intense. And so the body and a lot of the body armoring and the things that were holding me kind of stuck started to melt away. And so that's the impact that this practice had on me. And when I say it really... Um, changed my life, I feel that it. what it did was it stopped me from going off on uh, conceptual tangents mm. that so many of us tend to. Mm. Um, and it, it allowed me to really drop in moment to moment and say, what's up now? What's up now? Again and again, which I still feel is what we have to do every day. Because yeah. it's never the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Totally. Which is both the good news and the bad news. Yeah, <laughs> it really is an interesting paradox. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I wonder, you know, I think that um, most definitely there are some listeners that practice Ashtanga, and then there are possibly some listeners that are in the, the vinyasa, mm-hmm. um, modern take on, on the yoga, and I think that's where I started, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I have a huge amount of uh, respect for the roots that I started in and where I personally evolved, but more so in the form of the six-day-a-week practice that is Ashtanga, and those listeners, they, they find that sense of um, consistency and dedication. What could you say to those who do practice you know, public classes and, and can take their level of why they're practicing into that further realm towards dedication? Because I think that you know, the underlying message is the same. The methods may be a little different, you know, wake up yeah right yeah the message to wake up is there and the opportunity to wake up is there it's not that one form is necessarily going to wake someone up and another form is not Um, and I think that for me the reason it worked at that point was as I said I really truly decided okay just stop fooling yourself stop lying to yourself not that I was ever a vile, horrible person, but I there were parts that I was sort of a facade within my own being. Mm. And, um, and I was just tired of pretending, you know, within my own psyche that thing, certain things were okay or that I was okay in certain ways that I wasn't or that I wasn't okay in certain ways that I was and being so self-absorbed. And um, so I think whether you're doing an Ashtanga practice or a Vinyasa practice or a sitting practice or any other form of a contemplative practice, the, the real key is to peel away the layers and to notice if you are approaching your practice in a way that is um, appropriate and that is healthy, you will find that you feel more like who you really truly know yourself to be in the real corners of your being and the person that you might have not been since you were you know running around in you know pre-middle school or something Mm -hmm. where you really truly and not that even if you didn't have a happy childhood there's I think so many of us have this sense of being that gets stripped away by the socialization process. And then we buy into that. And then we start, you know, making our own identities around that. And so whether it's a vinyasa practice or whether it's an ashtanga practice or any other, you want to just keep re-examining yourself and asking the question again and again, how do I know what I know? Mm-hmm. How do I behave in a way that is truly resonant with the with the core of who I know myself to be when I'm all alone, and there are no, um, you know, there are no real games being played. Mm-hmm. And when you can resonate in that way, things start to automatically happen that are meant that are not meant to be, but that are real. Mm-hmm. And then you can respond in a real way. And so if you see yourself in your practice and you know you're pushing in a certain way or you're striving in a certain way, then, the, then it's an opportunity to say, what's up here? And to question. Mm-hmm. And not like criti- critically question, although the idea, one 
thing that we really want to be careful with in this modern age is to recognize the value of criticism, not that it is something where you want to be critical of another person or of yourself, but the ability to be critical, a critical thinker, mm. to have discriminating awareness, to know that not everything is always beautiful and perfect and that there are things that are, you know, that need some adjustments. And so, you know, not to always say, well, that's just the way it's meant to be, but to look closely and say, why do I, how do I know this? How do I really recognize what's going on here? Mm. And so any kind of yoga can do that for you. And it's just, if it, that's what I was saying, whatever door gets you into that room is great. And then once you're in the room, it's your responsibility, really, to give uh, truthfully and openly and honestly and know that you're going to make mistakes and know that that's perfectly good and normal Mm -hmm. and actually just fine. And when you start pretending you don't make mistakes or start thinking, oh, I have these goals that are solid that I'm going to get to, that's when you're in trouble. Mm. Is that Sanskrit word of the sort of discern, dis, discernment? Is that viveka? Viveka kyatihi. Kyatihi. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. You know, kind of tapping into the, the six day a week practice, how have you worked with injury <laughs> over the years? Well, um, it depends on the injury. <laughs> and you try to work with some uh, element of intelligence with it. Um, And it's very interesting to see um, how sometimes when you get an injury, you, depending on who you are, as a teacher, what I see is I'll see some people just plow ahead and say, you know, and in the Ashtanga world, sometimes it is almost a given that, oh, well, that's just an opening or that's just something that you've got to work through. And on some level, there is some truth to that. And on another level, you know, it's like, you know, you could go off a cliff and <laughs> into an abyss that way too. So um, the other type of person you see is someone who gets an injury and then it's like, oh, I can't do anything ever again. And so it's, you were talking about abhyasa vairagyam mm-hmm. and it's the idea of knowing when it's intelligent to push, when it's intelligent to kind of release. Um, and it is within my own experience, it is the value of this six day a week consistent practice is that you get to know the feelings in the body really well and you can and because you're moving in conjunction with the breath and the gaze it's a very meditative state and so you are able to to really again discern when you're just on the edge of doing the right thing or doing harm and and then you, as any yoga practitioner with some experience finds out, you start learning about anatomy and alignment and you realize, oh, well, if I do this, then this will happen. Or, and so you pl- take all of that into account as you work through the injury. So mm-hmm. I've had all different kinds of injuries and um, the one consistent thing I've done is to practice. For mm-hmm. instance, I had a knee that got completely totaled in a skiing accident Mm. had to have my ACL replaced MCL was totally torn my meniscus was torn in four places my popliteal tendon was off the bone it was just really trashed and the day I came out of surgery I my sacrum felt like really strange and awful and painful I mean, the knee was painful too, but I hung upside down in the pelvic swing because mm-hmm. it was I, somehow I realized, oh, my leg has been at this weird angle for four hours. No wonder my sacrum's off. And so I hung upside down, readjusted things, and felt immediately, oh, yeah, I'm going to practice my way out of this. And it took a long time. In my practice, on many days, someone would see me and not know what form of yoga I was doing. <laughs> I was the only one who knew. Um, because when you don't have a knee that works, there are a lot of things you can't do. But it felt to me very integrated. And it felt like because I had done 
all the internal work that I had done with the breathing and the bandha and the mudra and the drishti up until that point that I had the tools I needed in that moment of catastrophe Mm. to say, okay, this is what's happening. What do I do? And so we've all had different kinds of injuries and, um, and that's how I have found to work with them intelligently for me is to just see what's happening today. And uh, really, again, it's, it's a matter of honesty. Yeah. Which is, you know, some of us don't. Myself, you know, it's hard to be honest all the time, you know. Yeah. And you have to just, as soon as you stop being honest, you do something like break your knee. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, okay, back to square one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So if there was something that you could illuminate in the whole practice of yoga perhaps some key aspects that have fallen through the cracks of the modern evolution of yoga and the take that the, the, the practice has just begun to come through to be today. I think that there's a lot of important aspects with it, you know, starting out in physical practice and then uh, the, the, fit, the philosophical may not be as highly important than the, the physical aspect. You know, what, what would be some parts in your years of experience that you would allow us to, to see again, to illuminate, to, to breathe more life into? Well, I think, you know, that's a, that's a complex question. And um, I think that there is no one thing, I think, other than the fact that when we begin to think dogmatically Mm. um, within the context of a practice, be it philosophically or um, in terms of our physical practice or any other, you know, or our form of practice becoming this dogma, um, that that is the temptation of mind. The mind wants to um, codify things and it wants to simplify and say, I know what to do because that's the job the mind has in in our lives and if we're lucky we've got a mind that you know quickly discerns what's going on in a situation and decides what to do and then we take action or don't take action you know depending on what's appropriate and so the mind is this part of us that its whole job in life is to know what to do and so the temptation, therefore, when we get into anything we do is for the mind to then take over and say, okay, here's what's happening and here's what I need to do and here's what you need to do. And we, as the rest of our being, are used to following what the mind suggests. And so therefore, that's a, a very functional and good way to be in the world. And what yoga kind of does which is not, it's very often confused with the, the idea of yoga is to not think. Um, but the, that's not what yoga is about. Yoga is about calming the mind and about expanding the mind, letting it, it kind of take a big inhale itself so that the rest of the context of whatever is going on around or within the practice can be of equal importance. And then we know what action is appropriate to take. So in terms of our own yoga, if we are allowing the mind to conclude um, anything for too long, it has to make conclusions. But then you have to question. That's what I was saying. You know, ask yourself how you know what you know. Um, And always keep asking. So as soon as we find ourselves uh, stopping the um, inquiry, be it into philosophy or into the practice itself, the physical practice or the meditation or the pranayama, as soon as we think we know it, Hmm. that's when we become the fool and that's when we become stuck. So in terms of the practice, we want to keep it open and we want to not fall into that trap. Nice. Awesome. 
Okay. You know, I was in the, in a studio the other day, and I heard this comment from from a student, and I was as she said this, I was like, I wonder what Mary would say about this, and I was just curious, what would Mary do? What would Mary do? And, uh, so comment on this because I've said this in the past. You know, I haven't said it recently because I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. I am addicted to yoga. Uh huh. I'm addicted to yoga. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, that's a phase. I think that's a phase. And it's also um, not a bad phase. But then it's one that's a terrific example of how you can just sort of stop and say, hey, cool, I'm addicted to yoga, rather than (laughs) say, what's going on here? Or am I doing, am I just doing this in a rote manner, etc, etc. So it's a on one level, the fact that they were addic- are addicted to yoga is great because they have this potential to go in any direction. If they stop right there and just are into the fact that they're addicted to yoga, it's like being addicted to heroin. You know, you're just addicted to whatever it is rather than um, being able to uh, work with it intelligently. So the real trick with the yoga is to let the mind and even the ego do those things and say those things and then go there, there, there and just <laughs> carry on and, and inquire more deeply. Never believe it that it's um, a solid thing, that the yoga is a solid thing. So the hope is that we unlearn and we just unlearn and unlearn again and again and, and it's almost like there's this feeling deep inside that there's almost like a cavern that is infinitely deep inside of all of us. And if you can turn the vision in there, there's a moment where it's terrifying because it's dark, perhaps, or it's the unknown. And if we can let ourselves rest there for a moment, suddenly there's this feeling of going into this expansive, vast place of awareness. Mm. Mm. So the being addicted to yoga is a good phase. And here you sit, having been addicted to yoga and still slightly addicted. <laughs> and we're all slightly addicted to it. <laughs> but not letting it run your life is great. Mm. Cool. So the other day I was reading this book from Bhavani Maki, and the book's called The Yogi's Roadmap, The Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. And I came across this segment. I'd love to read it and see if you could comment on it. I wanted to see what you felt about it. Yoga is not meant to be a hobby or something in which we take a casual interest. It is not limited to a form of exercise or something we do because it is in fashion. We are to approach yoga with the deep recognition of the incredible privilege afforded to us. In the present age, we tend to be mechanical in our approach to life. And if we simply go through the motions without care, we risk becoming automatons, condemned to living a life of mediocrity. The word mediocrity stems from the Latin root mediocris, which literally means halfway up the mountain. Asevita, a Sanskrit word which means earnestness, indicates that we are to take our processes to heart, not just as a practice of the mind and body, and to be penetrated to the depths of our being. Only then do we have the internal realization of yoga, or varagya, letting go, successfully removing that which obscures our natural brilliance and experiencing life as extraordinary. It is important that we do not practice yoga just every day, but all day, and that our principles are not rolled up with the yoga mat. And that's a wonderful ending. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> a cool metaphor. Yeah, and, uh, and it, the metaphor of the yoga mat is is wonderful in that it really speaks to the fact that it, it you know to roll your yoga mat up and your principles up with that yoga mat and sort of store it somewhere where you're out committing mayhem in the world <laughs> um, is a true indication that you're not seeing and not uh, assimilating the very important aspect of yoga of the interconnectedness, the interpenetration of everything. And so if you really are connecting in that way where you uh, see that there is this deep connection between everything, it's not possible to roll up a yoga mat and 
and one's principles and separate it out um, from everything else. And so that's, that's a beautiful analogy mm. there. And what, what really springs to my mind when you first read that was uh, with Guruji Patabi Joyce. And when you call your teacher in India, you call them guru, which is, means heavy and it also means teacher. And then the G part is what you say to someone with great fondness. So they become Guruji. And I remember, as an aside, when I first went to India, I was like, God, it's so weird to call people Guruji. And, and there I was like a year later because I'd, I'd made this deep connection to someone who was teaching me on a very heavy, grounded, deep level, mm. which is what a guru does for you. Um, that... that it was totally natural to call him Guruji. Um, but what he used to say was, and I just have these beautiful images of him in my mind, and you know, he'd be sweeping the yoga shala as, at the end of the day, and, and you could go in and talk to him every now and then. And I remember him just sweeping up and just one time pausing and just saying, you know, and he had very broken English, and he said something about, you know, you have this one life that you've been given. And this is this human life that has come your way. And it is this life that is so valuable. And you're not a bug or a dog or even a horse or, you know, you're not the wind. You're, you've got this human form, which is this very rare opportunity. And to not use it fully um, is tragic. Mm-hmm. And, and... So to come to something like yoga that offers this insight into this interpenetrating nature of things, that offers the capacity within oneself to let go of self-deception, to uh, really deeply tap into the unspeakable truths of life, um, to not take that with um, the gravity that it is offering is tragic and yet just like with anything else it's tragic yet if you choose not to do it oh well Hmm. it's not like there's a you know punishment for it it's just it's just tragic so uh, approaching yoga as a hobby may again like being addicted to it you know, maybe it's a hobby first, then you're addicted to it, and then maybe you start seeing this is something kind of more real, mm. and uh, then you start doing the things like letting go, the vairagyam, where you can let go of your preconceptions and your ideas, as well as maybe the forms of the practice if you're injured or whatever, mm-hmm. and it, uh, you start to see it's way bigger than you thought. <laughs> which is kind of nice yeah <laughs> nice comment yeah. thank you you're welcome okay. so this is a always an exciting question I find because everyone would answer it uniquely <laughs> different what is yoga? what is yoga? well to me yoga is how we relate mm how we relate to others, how we relate to the world, uh, how we relate to the breath, mm-hmm. to ourselves. It is, and, and you know, yoga meaning yoking, it, which to me is a connection. So it's how we connect in this world. And again, as beings with the mental capacities that we have available to us, how we transmute some of the uh, less skillful ways the mind can do things and transmute that into um, something that has a taste of reality. Mm. So it's, it's a relationship. Mm. Through the course of just a, a small year and a half, two years that I've known you, and I've been studying with you and under you, it has always seemed like your practice has always been the returning framework uh-huh. to everything, and that just 
shows me like how prime and true of an example you are of the embodiment of yoga. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Truly, thank you. So, you know, and, and you've seen it all. You've seen this transition <laughs> from the 80s to yeah. the 70s to, to 2016. And yeah. And you wonder what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, through that whole transition, you have seen um, one little segment, uh, uh, a sudden rise in yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. And to the, I mean, I consider myself a baby teacher, and I've only been, haven't been teaching that long whatsoever. And, and studying for just a small four years were strong dedication in my heart immediately. What would you offer to the yoga teachers that are listening um, to allow them to maybe check in. Mm-hmm. Well, you just said it. <laughs> keep checking in and um, keep. I think I think there are a couple of things. One is that you f- find a form of yoga that uh, that really resonates with you on more than an as a level of your ego, which is hard to um, separate out from other things sometimes. So it's not, what I mean by that is a, a, a form of yoga that doesn't make you feel more special, more, mm. more fabulous, more wonderful, more glorious, but that a form that makes you feel more normal, mm. that is uh, really true and real to you and a, and find a teacher or teachers who give you space but also give you a container uh, so that you can learn what it is you need to do in your own way to continue to expand and to continue to deepen your practice and your knowledge base. Um, I'd recommend highly that you find um, you, you, you do some reading, that you read original Sanskrit texts, and if you can't read Sanskrit, that you read them in translation, and if you can't read Sanskrit, that you read several translations of different books so that you get different people's commentaries and different people's translations of the same words, um, and that you pause as you're practicing, mm. and you, you, you don't rush too fast mm. through it. Um, not only in the daily practice, but in the kind of trajectory that you happen to be on. That, that, that in fact, and David Swenson always says this, uh, you know, you enter yoga and you start and you think, well, I'm going to go from here and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to do that. And finally, in Ashtanga yoga, there are all these series that you do. And once you get to the fifth series or the sixth series, you look back and you think, well, where am I? I'm at the same place I was in the beginning. And then you go back to the beginning. And so we, once you've been practicing for a while, you realize you're always starting over. Hmm. And hopefully you are. And that um, you just keep that sense of two feet on the ground and a big open heart and a clear mind. Hmm. And how do we sustain and maintain a yoga practice over the course of a lifetime it's your job um (laughs) yeah i mean i think you know if you've gotten to the i'm addicted phase (laughs) and you know that we have this thing in our studio of yoga ruins your life (laughs) once you've gotten to that point it's kind of there's no turning back even though we run into students who, and actually there was one in class this morning who had not been there for a long time, like several years, and she came in and she said, here I am again, and I think about it all the time. And, and so once it's really gotten you, it'll resurface at the right times. And, you know, I have the advantage of being slightly OCD and slightly like, you know, a high energy person and so for me it's pretty easy to be disciplined and so that's to my advantage so mm. I can I can do that but for those who find discipline a little harder um, you know to be on the lookout for what are the signs that you need to if you've fallen quote, quote unquote off the path you know if it's coming into your mind ever then maybe it's time to say, oh, wait, maybe I need to check that out. Maybe the last time you were doing it, you were either doing a form of yoga that wasn't 
just resonating with you well, or you were approaching it too aggressively or too passively or too obscurely. And so to, to ask yourself, that's, again, how can I get more real here? Mm-hmm. And, and remember the feeling, and, and I think this is whatever form of yoga you happen to do, there's a feeling very often that you have after a yoga class. And I've gone to many guided classes in all different studios all around Boulder and around the world. And whether it's the form of yoga I'm used to doing or not, often you'll walk out and you have this sense of clear mind for just, you know, even if it's a third of a second and you go, what, what was that? And then it would say, oh yeah, that was, maybe that was clear mind. And so the, as we get older, this feeling of clear, clarity and the, the desire to see things uh, openly becomes more, um, at least for me, it's become you know, I'm less involved in the outcome, uh, or emotionally and, and egotistically mm-hmm. involved in what's going to happen. And that's just part of the aging process. So one of my, t- one of my teachers, Joan Halifax, mm-hmm. has this wonderful thing she talks about uh, when she's talking in some of her lectures about the grandmother's heart. And, and it's that feeling of the grandmother who just you know, loves the children. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you have that distance from not being the mother, but you're the grandmother, so you don't feel the same drive mm-hmm. that a mother feels for your child, but you feel this sense of just true, you know, essential love. Mm-hmm. When that can be part of who you are, then you're doing your yoga. Mm-hmm. The grandmother's heart. The grandmother's heart. That's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And uh, let's see. Could you offer three tips to practitioners that may have feel like they've fallen stagnant mm-hmm. on the path to dive deeper, to um, take the practice to the next level? Okay. Three tips. One is uh, don't take yourself too seriously. First tip. Um Second tip, take yourself really seriously <laughs> no. because you want to realize this is a super serious thing you're doing, but don't take it too seriously. <laughs> so I don't know if that's one or two. Um, and don't give up. You know, mm. don't give up. Don't be too, so hard on yourself. And, and, you know, even though I said criticism to, to, to have discriminating awareness is good, don't, you know, criticize yourself unnecessarily um, and by the same token don't just excuse yourself too easily and uh, you know find your way that is that's appropriate you know deep inside we each have this you know when you're doing something right and when you're doing something that's not quite right whether it's in relationship with another person or in your own life, in a profession you're choosing, or within your yoga practice. You know when it's right. And listen to that. It's it's like a gut sense, a visceral sense, which in my experience taps into that that vastness that I was relating to earlier Mm. that's that's bigger than you. Mm. So really look for that. So don't be too serious, and uh, nice. yeah, and, and look for the vastness. Yeah, and you know, through through your experience, I, I don't want to ask a yes or no question. Like, are you happy? But has how has happiness <clears throat> shown up for you in your life through the means of practice? Um. Well, for me, and I know for many other people who've done yoga, and in particular, it may be other forms too, but I know Ashtanga yoga, a number of people who've gotten into it have been people who've had depression Mm. in the past. And I was one of those people. As a little kid, I was depressed. Um, Although I was also kind of bouncy. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't bipolar, but I was, I would definitely have 
phases where I was um, where I was very melancholy, and um, so yeah, yoga has has balanced that out in a big way for me, and has made uh, little dips in my sensibilities that could lead to a deep depression at different times early in my life. It has just given me the tool I need to to come back out. And that tool, I think, is um, this feeling of connection to other beings, mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Um, and, and, the cons- and the physical practice this and I'm, I'm making loops with my hands because it feels like it's when you do a, a daily practice it feels like it's just this chariot going along going mm-hmm. along going along and you're on for the ride and then sometimes it's a great ride and sometimes it's a disastrous ride mm-hmm. but it's just slowly carefully moving ahead and just every day getting on you know on board to do it keeps the physical system which I think sometimes can um, you know can really get stuck by our mental states mm. and our emotional states and it, you know years ago in psychology it would be called body armoring and and that can once you start getting body armoring it can build and build and build until you just don't even know who you are anymore mm. and so and that's what I would define as unhappiness. So to me, yoga has helped with the state of depression, but also, yeah, I feel it's contributed to a a true level of happiness, which doesn't mean that every day is just, you know, blissful and (laughs) la-la-la land, but it means that there's, you know, the idea of santosha, of of contentment, and it's not resignation. It's like... How can you not be happy when you see the sun and mm. you see nature and you see and then how can you not be just so sad when you see you know people traipsing through Europe looking you know as refugees and so it's it, the yoga gives you this ability to breathe all that in and try to digest it and and uh, do what you can to help. Mm. What can we do to help? I think helps the, the best thing to do to help other people is to help yourself. Mm. And then to take whatever actions you can in this world, um, given your skill set and your uh, interests and your devotion to um, to whatever medium you're working in um, so and and present what you present so that as as a you know person who's a teacher that you whether it's yoga or humanities or whatever that you might do your own practice and we have this wonderful professor who teaches at the University of Colorado who comes every day to our studio in the mornings mm-hmm. and she then you know, does her practice, gets herself in order, and then go teach and goes to teach. Or as an artist, you might, you know, practice and get yourself really clear and open, as on target as you can for the day, and then you do your art in the most clear way you can. And then someone who needs that finds it. And then it, you know, has this effect on them that then they do their thing well and then it has this sort of blossoming effect. So that's what you can do is be truthful about what you're really good at and realize the sky is the limit. You can do anything, but you need to be focused while you do it mm. and then move ahead with it with two feet on the ground. And mm. that two feet on the ground is your practice. Mm. Nice. You know, there is a yoga sutra I was reading and uh, Patanjali says... It takes a very, very, <laughs> very long time yeah. to become grounded, even lifetimes. Yeah. 
Yeah. You seem so grounded. <laughs> it's just because you're young. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's just you just keep at it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Very yeah. encouraging, truly. Thank you. So let's let's kind of segue into a more dense topic. Okay. Um, um, a little more dense topic of uh, life and death. Okay. Because I know that you go to a uh, a retreat yearly, mm-hmm. and and you kind of help those yeah. that are transitioning. No, yeah. I what am who what I do is. Um, Every spring, I'm part of the core faculty, faculty, faculty um, which is part of the curriculum at um, the Upaya Zen Center. And so the teacher I mentioned, Roshi Joan Halifax, um, is the Roshi at the Upaya Center. And the Roshi Joan has been working in the field of uh, death and dying for the last 50 years. Um, and she... Um, was a medical anthropologist who then became a Zen practitioner and is a brilliant, brilliant woman. And I encourage you to, any of your listeners, to find her on the media. She's just all out there all mm. the time, teaching all over the place. She's fabulous. And she does this, her, she became, she was a medical anthropologist and she became very uh, dismayed at the state of the medical profession in hospitals, etc., um, which is over the years since I've been involved, which is now 12 years, um, I have witnessed huge changes in the medical profession. Um, it's become a much more humane system um, and a much more a system that's much more open to integrative care and taking care of the caregivers, etc. Mm-hmm. So this program is being with dying is bringing contemplative practices into um, a group of people usually about 60 people from around the world who are caregivers who take care of those who are in end-of-life situations so they may be palliative care people or hospice workers or nurses or doctors or administrators social workers um, spiritual care people and they and we work together doing yoga, doing meditation, and and really looking at the complexity of uh, the system, the medical system, as well as our own personal biases that we bring into the room um, that can both either help or hurt the situation at hand. And so it's a, an amazing eight-day training um, with some of the most remarkable people in the medical profession um, who are the core faculty who teach all these different aspects like ethics and communication and um, Roshi Joan of course teaches the contemplative practices and it's just an amazing thing and for me personally you know it has spawned this extreme uh, interest in I had it actually before I began the, the work but a real interest in how do we deal with death in this culture and how do we deal with it personally and how do we support others um, and what is death mm. and um, and how do we, you know, it's this part of, of the process of life that is somewhat overlooked until it slaps you in the face either through tragedy or a sickness that is a long-term sickness. So it's, um, it's something that for me, yoga has helped remarkably. When my own mother was dying, and this was before I started working with Roshi Joan, um, and it turns out my mother was an anthropologist who actually, I found out years later, she and Roshi Joan knew each other hmm. because my mother had worked with death and dying. But when she, my mother was dying and I was my family had gathered together for that process. Um, it was the yoga practice that got me through day in and day out and day in and day out. And I would get up early in the morning, do my practice, and then I could just be there for whatever might be going on. And different things would go on different days. And uh, But it was truly the practice that gave me that that sense of being grounded so that I could just realize 
what I could do and what I couldn't do and mm. to do the best at what I could and and try to not grasp hold of and fight the things I couldn't do anything about. Mm. So the yoga to me is a huge help for anyone who's dealing with illness or death or death in the family or um, catastrophe of any sort. And it's the same time it's difficult in that it brings up so much emotion and thought and um, as you yourself were saying when we were talking earlier, that what happens at some point is you start not identifying quite so personally with the, uh, with the emotions or the thoughts that come up. And even though you see you know, horrible things arising or blissful things arising, they're not you. Hmm. And that doesn't, it's not said in a sort of flippant way. It's a way of recognizing that this is this sort of energy that's that we're all privy to. And if you run off with the good things or run away from the bad things or vice versa, um, you're in trouble and you need to, and we all go through phases of that, but if we can practice and realize, no, it's a process, it's not an, a definitive thing here, then, it's, then that's, that's what the death and dying work has, has done for me. It's amazing work. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. So, one last question. What could be one nugget of wisdom that you would offer to our listeners as they move forward on their path in this practice? One nugget. Um, well, I think you know to you know to keep an open mind and to not give up and not take it personally hmm. so keep an open mind just keep at it nice not not too deep but no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very clear yeah good totally you know I, again i think that you are uh, incredible example of someone who acknowledges the past where you've started and where yoga has started um, in its own and you don't move forward blindly you, you really plan the future with acknowledgement and recognition of the past while staying so authentically and, and genuinely true to your heart and how you offer your yoga as it resonates within with other people uh -huh. So thank you so much for My all pleasure. the service that you, you bring everybody. My pleasure. Thank My you. Pleasure. Namaste, thank Mary. You can learn all about Ashtanga Vinyasa with Mary Taylor in Boulder, Colorado. Mary teaches daily morning Mysore classes at the Yoga Workshop on 21st Street in Pearl. She is truly a saint that is in service to others in this practice. You can visit yogaworkshop.com for more information regarding Ashtanga Yoga and upcoming trainings and events with Richard Freeman and Mary Taylor. Thank you for listening in and pondering over the affinity of knowledge that Mary Taylor has absorbed and freely pours into us. We are most grateful for you, the Yoga Revealers, for tuning in today. We will continue to bring you insightful interviews from the most devoted and gracious yoga teachers. You are appreciated as a loyal listener and an influencer in your yoga community simply through being in your practice. If you truly enjoy these interviews, it makes a huge difference if you go onto iTunes or the podcast app and rate us with a loving five-star review. Check us out on Instagram and at yogarevealed.com for more information. And sign up for the 2016 Manifesto. We are here to wake up together, practice with one another, and continue to make a difference in this world we live in. Thank you for all that you do. Until next time, love life and shine on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.